0: subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor.
1: When I was little, I was fascinated by this 1980s cartoon called Rose Petal Place.
2: This is Nino Pozuki.
1: So it took place in a garden, and the narrator was a tree. I
0: am Elmer, the ancient elm tree. I've stood
1: right here behind the old
0: house, above this... I
1: love, love, loved the idea that the tree could talk.
0: You could say, my roots are here. My arms reach up to touch the sun. I spread my shade for everyone. Play my fruit, I sing my song. My whole life along. You wouldn't believe
1: it. The whole premise of Rose Petal Place, which I rediscovered on YouTube recently, was that a little girl was moving away from her garden, and she was super sad about it, and she was so sad that she sobs over her flowers, and then magically, her tears make the garden come alive. amazing happened. Her
0: flowers began to walk and talk, laughing and playing in the sun, and now they become my family, and the happiest, most beautiful is
1: Rose Petal Patrick, I cannot tell you the amount of time I spent manufacturing tears to try and talk with the flowers and the olive tree in my backyard growing up. Of course, there was nothing original about this fantasy. We humans have long fantasized about talking plants and trees.
3: We've been walking a long
2: ways and I was hungry and... Did you say something?
0: She was hungry. She was hungry! Well, how would you like to have someone come along and pick something off of you? Oh dear... I keep
2: forgetting I'm not in Kansas. Nope, not in Kansas anymore. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Patrick Cox. This week, languages and the trees that speak them. Okay, trees don't have larynxes or tongues, but they do interact with their surroundings in all kinds of hidden ways. Nina. I'm so glad you're back.
1: (laughs) Patrick, I'm back! Just for one episode.
2: For those who don't know, Nina used to host The World in Words with Me.
1: Which was also a language podcast. So, dear listener, I also need to say that I know the trees cannot talk, despite the ardent wishes of my five year old self.
2: What does grown up Nina say?
1: (laughs) Grown up Nina has always wondered,
3: well, do they communicate? You walk through a peaceful woodland. And thank goodness me, look at all these wonderful trees, and little do you know about what's going on under your feet. You know, there's so much activity going on that you just could not imagine. Underground.
1: Lynn Boddy is a fungal ecologist at Cardiff University in Wales. And all that activity under your feet are tree roots and a whole lot of fungus. And Lynn, she loves fungus.
3: Most people think of fungi, they, they think, oh, yuck, if you mention fungi, you know, they rot our homes and our food and they're nothing but a nuisance. But that is so far from the truth. They do do those things, but without them, this planet, the ecosystems of this planet would not work. In fact,
1: without fungi, many trees in the forest wouldn't survive.
3: And Lynn, you can hear it in her voice,
1: she's outraged that we're not taught this.
3: So when we're at school, we're told that it's the root hairs on roots that soak up the water and, and the nutrients. But in the real world, in natural ecosystems, the vast majority of plants get their nutrition from the soil via fungi.
1: See, without fungi, trees, they live isolated, barren lives. And it's a symbiotic relationship. The fungi help trees soak up the water and nutrients they need to survive. And the trees give the fungi the sugars that they've created through photosynthesis. And this particular kind of fungus, it has a name. It's called mycorrhizae.
3: In the USA, you pluralize it to mycorrhizae, A-E. But that seems a very wrong thing to do. It's putting a Latin ending on a Greek word, and I'm sure I'm sure the Romans probably would have done it. But I think that nowadays we usually anglicise things to pluralise them, not Latinize Greek words. I, I would anglicise the word to mycorrhizers. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd say that since this is a programme about language,
2: <laughs> <laughs> she'd have a thing or two to say about octopi, right? <laughs> Or octopuses.
3: (laughs) octopuses.
2: Okay, so I get that trees and fungi live together and help each other. But does that help them talk or whatever we're going to call it?
1: Well, it turns out that this kind of fungus not only helps an individual tree survive, but it is also key to how trees interact with each other. And I'll tell you more about that in a bit. But first, Patrick, let's take a walk. I want you to meet someone.
2: Ooh. I always like meeting your friends.
1: You'll like this one. Just wait.
2: Subtitle is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of energetic, idea driven podcasts, including The Constant, which takes a second look at events from the past. I just listened to the latest couple of episodes, which are the first two parts in a mini series about a submarine that was discovered at the bottom of the Chicago River in 1915. I knew absolutely nothing about this. How did it get there? And what was it doing there? It's a gripping story. I cannot wait to hear the next installment. Check out The Constant and all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. We're
1: taking a walk around my neighborhood, Patrick.
2: Walk around your neighborhood. Why, we'll be Cambridge? Okay.
1: Because I want to take you to visit a, a friend of mine.
2: A special friend.
1: I mean, a special friend. Here we are.
2: What is your friend?
1: She's a dogwood tree. Hello, tree. Uh, hello, tree.
2: It's got a hammock on it, so it's somebody else's friend too.
1: Yeah, it's got a hammock and a rope swing and some lights, and it's in the front yard of uh, an apartment building. I was going um, to point
2: that out, Nina. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. I
1: know it doesn't belong to me, but I feel particularly drawn to this tree, and I watch it every year. The dogwood uh, blossoms face up, and they look like little plates. I, they make such a beautiful silhouette because they look like sort of like little thin lines or plates. They're, they're just really dainty and lovely, and I just really love this tree.
2: It feels to me like certainly the people are communing with the tree. I don't know if they're speaking to it, but like you say, there's the hammock and the rope and the and the the light. So the humans are all over the tree, but is the tree all over the humans?
1: (laughs) The, the, The question of the moment. I don't know if the tree is giving back to the, if the tree is all over the humans, but the tree gives them shade. So the tree does give back. It is in conversation, quote unquote, with humans in a way. It might be more human- focused (laughs) than actually how the tree reacts to the world or communicates with the world.
2: And the tree, because it's kind of on its own, it's not part of a forest or anything, there are a couple of other mini trees sort of not too far away from it, but it it doesn't look like it's it's a candidate for one that communicates uh, with other trees.
1: I don't know that, Patrick. I don't know that we know. I mean, I ha- we'd have to dig down into the earth. Remember that fungus? There's like tiny and mini trees and shrubs and, and all sorts of things in the yard. And perhaps there's trees across the street. I, I don't know who it's communicating with besides the humans that it's it's living beside.
0: We don't want to anthropomorphize if trees are not little people out there.
1: Patrick, this is naturalist and writer David George Haskell, and he's thought a lot about our relationship with trees.
0: We have to honor the otherness of soils and trees. I mean, as humans, we think of language in a particular way. We think of emotion and thought and memory in particular ways. We need new words to describe what is the memory held in the soil.
2: New words, that's interesting. I mean, we've been giggling a bit about this whole idea of talking trees, right? Because it's awkward.
1: So awkward.
2: Maybe it is just because there aren't adequate words for this form of natural world communication. Talking clearly seems off. It it, it implies like consciousness and and presumably no one's suggesting that.
1: Well, are trees sentient beings? Do they think, feel, remember? (laughs) Should we count non-human communication as language? Maybe this is the wrong way to think about it.
0: If our only approach is to sit in the seminar room and to listen to other very clever human beings talk about these issues, I think we're going to come up with an answer that humans are very special and that we're the only ones who have it. (laughs) If, on the other hand, we open our ears to the diverse ways that communication happens out in the rest of the living world, we might come up with a a less human-centered answer to the nature of language.
2: So we'll project less if we just stop thinking like humans and we'll start understanding the true nature of how trees communicate, is that it?
1: (laughs) Well, maybe if we stop putting humans at the center of everything and looking at the world in a different space, maybe, I don't know. But perhaps our lack of words for this, trees talking and what they're doing, mirrors our lack of understanding everything that's going on underground. What exactly is happening down there?
2: Ooh,
0: underground, you said that again.
1: Perhaps it's the key to how trees talk.
0: One simple answer is, indeed, trees do talk, but they talk in a language that we find very hard to listen to. Mm. Most of that talk is not acoustic, it's chemical. That just gives
2: me a headache to hear the word chemical. What does he mean by chemical?
1: (laughs) Well, remember the fungi that Lynn Boddy described living alongside the roots of a tree in the forest? that, you know, help the tree with water and nutrients and that symbiotic relationship. Scientists have discovered that these same fungi aren't merely delivering, like, nutrients and water to one tree, but a fungus is often interacting with many trees in a given area, so effectively connecting one tree
3: with his or her neighbor tree. So the fungus links up tree A with its neighbor tree B. And his and her neighbor tree and his or her neighbor tree. And that could even be different species of trees. It's a network.
1: Exactly. So in a dense forest, one fungus could be connecting like a whole stand of trees together. And this network, it's sort of like like a biological internet beneath our feet. And Patrick, it even has a terrible nickname, the wood wide web. Say that five times fast.
2: Oh No, I don't think so. I, I might manage <laughs> one. Wood Wood wide web. Okay,
1: <laughs> <laughs> good job.
2: <laughs> so, an invisible network that—that that sounds all futuristic and, and internet-y. It, it also sounds kind of a little quasi-religious, like like there's the hand of something we can't see that's guiding things.
1: Yeah, totally. Which weirdly brings us back to fiction and fantasy. Those trees were sacred to the Omaticaya in a way you can't imagine. Oh, you know what? Remember the movie Avatar, the that James Cameron film from 2009.
2: Oh yeah, the alien blue type people. Yeah, the Na'vi. They worship trees, right?
1: What we think we know is that there is some
0: kind of electrochemical communication between the roots of the trees, like the
1: synapses between neurons. So there's a reason this film is interpreted as a fable about our own earthly stewardship of forests.
0: It's more connections than the human brain. Get it? It's a network. It's a global network.
1: Okay, so I want to be clear. The actual wood wide web isn't one vast network connecting all the trees around the globe. That's fanciful Hollywood thinking there. But think more of like a patchwork quilt in the forest, where one stand of trees is connected by a single fungus, and then another stand of trees yards away is connected by a different fungus. And within a single network, as Lynn Boddy mentioned earlier, many different types of trees might be connected by that same fungus like a birch and a fir tree could be connected and Patrick here is what blew my mind in that network the trees take care of each other delivering water nutrients sugars carbon whatever they need
2: wait are you saying that like a fir tree will help you know a birch that's thirsty by by sending water through the fungus
1: in a simplistic sense yes so here's an example. It comes from uh, the German ecologist Peter Wolleben in his book, The Hidden Life of Trees, which is a great book, and I recommend everybody read it. He manages a forest in Germany, and he writes about a stump in his forest that had been cut down years ago. It had no leaves, it had been sheared down to a nub, but Wolleben discovers that the stump is still very much alive. In fact, the trees surrounding the stump were feeding the poor thing, delivering the sugars they produced, keeping the stump going and alive long after, you know, humans had knocked it down and used its trunk for wood.
3: So water moves, nutrients move, sugars move. And it turns out that recently it's been discovered that other things move too, and that includes chemical messages.
2: Uh back to the chemical messages. I, I still don't really know what they are.
1: So chemical messages, turns out, could be warnings. If a tree is getting attacked by an aphid, say, it will send chemical messages around its own body to ward off the attack. But scientists have found that these messages can also be transmitted to neighboring trees, warning them of the same threat. Scientists have also discovered that some trees use the fungal network to take care of their own offspring, so delivering water or nutrients or whatever is needed for the survival of their seedlings. And in fact, seedlings themselves have no trouble joining the fungal network.
3: That tree seedling, the roots of it, will almost instantly tap into this network that's already there. Oh, that's so cute.
1: But don't fear, uh, it's not all peace and love, so just as the human internet, you know, has its dark side. The wood wide web isn't all uh, light. Scientists have found that certain trees like the black walnut will actually use the network to send growth inhibiting chemicals like bad stuff to their neighbors to ensure their own dominance in the region. Ooh. <laughs> so trees can help their stumpy brethren or they can use their networks to kill off their competitors.
2: So what about our house plants? Unfortunately, that's sort of like the greatest connection that many of us have to Plants.
1: bunch of plants. <laughs> uh, I mean,
2: our place has tons of them hanging out kind of next door to each other together. It looks like it. But
1: they're in pots, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: It's a pretty quiet scene at the Cox yes, household. So... <laughs> yeah. Cut off from the possibilities of like digging into that fungal network, chemical me- communication isn't happening underground for your poor house plants. <laughs> but there might be other ways plants are communicating through the air or whatnot. But underground, in, in the Cox house, it's pretty silent. In fact, the, that same German ecologist, Peter Volleben, he also described uh, the silence of modern agriculture in his book. So, in well controlled, treated soil where all the fungus has been stripped away, you know, rows of corn or grain or other plants are sort of standing side by side in rows and in silence, um, not plugged into any fungal network. It makes me sort of sad.
2: And there I was thinking how poetic that silence is of, you know, the fields of wheat blowing in the wind. Maybe a little too human-centric on being here. (laughs) Mm. Okay, so this silence underground, what's the long-term impact on the livelihood of plants and trees?
1: There are so many unknowns about the wood wide web, about the silent underground, about the parts of the forest that are still chattering away.
3: We know that there are some interesting things going on, but we have just scratched the surface.
1: So the next time you pass by your favorite dogwood tree, or fir tree, or whatever tree is your favorite, or you take a walk in the woods, look down, take a moment to consider what's happening beneath your feet. I am Groot. And maybe, in conclusion, you'll hear something. I am Groot. Uh-huh. I am Groot. I have
2: no idea what that is.
1: Did you not see the big blockbuster hit, Guardians of the Galaxy, Patrick?
2: Oh, I Come hang my now. head in shame. Come
1: on now. I'm cool.
2: Thanks, Nina.
1: You're welcome, as always.
2: Nina Porzuki is a person, not a tree. Who talks. Subtitle is a production of Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks this week to Jennifer Gorin for help with editing.
1: And thanks also to the World Public Radio Program. It's on every weekday on your local public radio station. In these times, the world is more essential than ever.
2: Also thanks to Talia, Boris, Maddie, Jake, and Nola. May plenty of trees and lots of chit-chat be in their future. Thanks for listening Please don't forget to rate and review us. We'll be back soon.
0: Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.
2: Okay, Nina, we are working partly off a script here. Right. Can you tell me me how (laughs) you spell (laughs) fungi, the plural of fungi? fungus. Because I put an H in it. You go to it's too like many it. Italian restaurants and ordered pasta <laughs> al fungi. <laughs> That's hilarious.